Chief Jeff O'Brien, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes and uh, congratulations on retirement. Thank you. Thank you very much. At first I wanted to <laughs> look it up and, and come prepared with the, the data and the stats on your career here, but the more I thought about it, I, I wanted to hear from you the dates of you know when you started and how you started here in Traverse City. Oh my goodness. Um, started as a reserve officer in 1983, somewhere in the fall I want to say. October, September. It took me eight years to break out of the job, so I got hired July 1 of 1991 as a sworn officer. Oh my goodness, did a whole host of different functions. I started out immediately as a motor officer, motorcycle officer. Did that for most of my career, 24 years. Motorcycle instructor, firearms instructor. Um, did a little stint in the DB in 2003. Detective Bureau. Detective Bureau, correct. And then 2004, I was promoted to sergeant. Best job I ever had, sergeant. Working with a team, a crew, and, and uh, worked a lot of hours, had a lot of fun riding a motor. Did a lot of presidential, several presidential. Yeah, a couple of visits from yeah. President uh, Bush and Bush. Vice President Cheney was Cheney. here. Uh, and then I didn't, we didn't really have uh, any connection with Trump, but I was in command at that point. I was a chief. Um, who else did we have? We had some other dignitaries that came in. Um, Jennifer Granholm did some, and um, Senator Levin. <laughs> okay. Um, just a really cool, great career. Um, you'd struggle during, in those days, you'd struggle during the winter because there was just nothing to do. Summer, you'd just go crazy and call a call a call in the winter and just drive around. And So when did that change? When did, did winters start picking up? Uh, winter started picking up probably about 10 years ago, I want to say. 10, 11 years ago, it started really. We started morphing into more of a seasonal, all-season type vacation area. I think the, no, not don't mean anything disparagingly here, but... I think the casinos had a big impact on that, on the seasonal type entertainment. Um, I think that was a big catalyst when, when we started having the uh, casino, the gaming. Um, Let me ask you, who was, who was chief when you started? Ralph Safardini. Safardini? Yep. I was curious if that was the case. Obviously, he just passed away here recently. Yes. and. I know we talked with you about, about that at the time, uh, just a few weeks back, but does that, I mean, what, what runs through your mind in that sense of, you know, the passing of the torch from him and then obviously <laughs> Chief Mike Warren and then you taking over and, and kind of seeing your retirement at the same time as, as Chief Safardini passes on? Yeah, I was kind of reflecting on that the other day. I, um, you know, Ralph obviously hired me. The the style that he applied to plead, to being the chief, I could never get away with it. It was <laughs> one of a kind. <laughs> it's just a different time frame. Um, generationally, we, you know, my generation is leaving the workforce. Uh, baby boomers are leaving the workforce in droves, and um, we're, we're just wired differently than. Younger people, we, we have different ethic, work ethic, and goals. And um, 
So it just, he, he was that guy. I mean, he's, he was just that baby boomer, top of the baby boomer, and and um, he, whatever he said you do, you just did. He was the boss. And yeah. if you were underneath him at those times, you you do what the boss told you to do. And there wasn't any questions and why, why are we doing this, and explanations and. Um, so, so how have you carried that on, do you think, through through your career, and, and what would you say defines your your career, or your style, maybe? Well, I think I'm more of an influencing individual. Um, I know that my crew will probably say that I'm moody, but I try not to, I try to be steady all the time. Uh, I believe that I had some definite values that I brought to the chief's department. Um, just with my personal life in general, with having my wife and I adopting special needs children, I watched them um, per, just to be candid, um, their their rights being violated. Many times you had to fight for educational. And, and I think I brought that experience and that understanding and, and, and knowing that there's marginalized people in our community, and our, our job as police department, police officers, is to to defend them, to make sure their rights aren't violated. And those are the values that I think I tried to instill in my on my command and my officers, and and hence a lot of the programs that we've initiated are because of that value. Good, bad, or indifferent, whether you believe it, whether you agree with me. I don't really care. Sure. <laughs> That's just who I am. So obviously this segment of our of our podcast library is for the community and by the community and and I thought of you in the sense of, you know, A not only being a community leader, but B, I know over the years you and I have talked about community policing. Sure. And would just love to get your definition of of what that means, maybe when that either changed or became an important agenda item, so to speak, for the police department? Well, all I know is community policing because when Ralph hired me, when Chief Safferdini hired me, I was a community police officer and had extensive community policing training. Um, my sector office was up on the west side on the old state hospital grounds which the, in the early 90s, the city had um, had purchased that for like a dollar and they were trying to, to build it up. And uh, we were in the old fire station was our sector office. There was nobody up there. We would, kids would come in and break into the buildings and we'd try to get them out of there. And, um, and then, I, you know, I had some other responsibilities with some of the schools and Willow Hill and, and the Intermediate School District. And they had a lot of extensive training. They invested a lot of money. And, and so it was just something that I was just trained to do. And it was natural for me to apply those principles. And if, if you want to just reduce it to a nutshell, if you, if you can, it's very, it's very extensive. It's very, you, you, we've always, you know, we've, in police work, we've always relied on the physical sciences to solve crime. 
and uh, DNA and blood splattering and tire marks, yaw marks, all of the physical sciences that are great for real evidence. But as society became more complex and had more problems, we had to lean on the social sciences. And the causation of crime, what, what causes crime? And part of the problem is that society tends to blame the police for a crime or for their socioeconomic status because we represent the government. We're always out there, we're accessible, we're visible. And I mean, let's face it, we understand that the police before my time, before any of our time was, they were charged to um, enact and enforce unconstitutional laws. So there had to be some social science to break down those barriers to, to get cops out of cars, get them on foot, get them to interact with especially the neighborhoods that were underprivileged and had a socioeconomic status less than what some of us have. That was the whole main impetus of why we went to community policing was to break down those barriers. And I think it's worked. I think it's worked in our community. I, I don't hear a lot of negative people saying, you shouldn't be community policing. And hey, good job, community policing. And, but you know, the, the problem is a lot of agencies will say we're community policing, but they're not. They don't, they might talk it, but they don't walk it. And I think we walk it here. I think our officers believe in it, agree in it, a command does. And I think that's uh, what's essential to have success. So most of the success that, that I've had has been because of the people that work underneath me. So. Let me ask you what, what you think of the perception of police is today how it's maybe changed in your in your 30 years and uh and maybe what the turning point was or or maybe there oh my maybe it's always been that way but i mean <laughs> I, I know there were times obviously in in recent history when you and i have had conversations about that as well and just the perception of police i know yeah. that led to a lot of community conversations here with yeah. different different community groups yeah well you know i, I wasn't a, i wasn't a cop in the 70s and and the 60s and the 70s, we know policing was trashed, it was totally uh, maligned and, and there was no respect for the police during that. I was young enough to understand that and see that. Um, very confusing times. I, I think that when I broke on the job in the 90s and, and I felt there was a lot of respect for the police department. This is our police. I felt that with Rouse tenure, there was a lot of respect and there's a lot of communication in the, into the community. And even after 9-11, uh, there was tons of support yeah. for the police and for, and also for the military. And so during those Iraqi wars in Afghanistan and I think the country as a whole just rallied around the police department and military, paramilitary, just in the fact that we were attacked, that there right. was this perception of us being attacked, 
And you could go in and talk about how much money we wasted over there. And I lost a brother-in-law in Afghanistan. Was it fruitful? I don't know. But the perception of, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying the perception was. Um, and then George Floyd. That was a definitive, the police are no good. That was obviously the one that came to my mind as I was asking the question, but I was, I mean, even thinking back to the 90s with Rodney King and uh, obviously since George Floyd, we've had a handful of others. Is, is the criticism of the police in the bigger picture justified and how does that impact your local community? Well, I don't think it's justified in the fact that if you go back to Rodney King, there really was no adjudication on that. There was no, there weren't any charges brought forth. That was the reason for the whole LA riots. We saw that on, we saw that on TV. Right. The, you know, the, the envelope, the protection was government immunity. They were operating in the color of law, did what they had to do to, well, it was excessive force, and there was some monetary, but the officers weren't charged. Now, fast forward to 2020, and the system is actually better because the officers, that officer was charged in some monetary civil complaints. Um, so is the system responsive? Yes. I guess the criticism amongst the the BIPOC is that again and again and again, it keeps happening. Well, my goodness, um, people are people. And you know, we, we continue to do implicit bias training. We continue to do crisis intervention training, de-escalation, verbalization. Do bad cops get in on board with a badge? Yeah. Will we, will we be able to eliminate that completely? No. But I guess the only criticism I have is that I think that we respond to it differently. Have you seen a different mindset in the younger members of the workforce coming in? Do they have different expectations? Has the last three years changed training to the point where you knock I, that down or address it before it starts? I think they come in with a... A, a real clear focus of they want to make a difference. That's really what police officers, these young police officers that, that I see now, I think that's what they want to do. And they say that. And I've had personal interactions with some of the younger officers that we're having difficulty transitioning into police life, the culture, and and personality reasons and so just if you tell them you really are making a difference they're like wow that's what I needed to hear and they are you are as a police officer you do make a difference you impact people in positive more positive ways than negative right. and there's not a police officer with 20 years of experience that can't tell you most of them would tell you that they've mentored somebody in the community to break away from addiction be it alcohol, drugs, or any other addictions that they have. And Let me ask you what 
cases maybe come to your mind over your time here? Um, I'm sure there's, there's many. There's three that are on my mind to ask you about, but I'm curious what ones stand out to you, uh, just difficult days on the job here. Oh, man, I don't know, Bill. That's, I, I try to... Try them, not to think about them. Put them back here. <laughs> I try to suppress them. Um, I've had some. I've had some. Some traumatic cases that. You know, working the road, and I haven't worked the road in ten years. Um, and, and I really do try to not think about them. And well, and not to, you know, certainly don't want to open up anything you don't want to talk about, um, but the ones I know we've talked about in the past already. Uh, obviously, uh, Sergeant Dennis Finch right. comes to mind. Uh, we just, this week, talking about Kelly Boy Strobert and the hit-and-run bike accident from now 10 years ago. And uh, the other one, you know, in the, in the recent, relatively recent past was Carly Lewis. Yes. Um, and those are, those are three in, in memory that stand out from my seat, but I'm curious your, your thoughts on any of those or if there are others. Well, again, I had, I had some intersection with all three of those cases, and um, I think it's important to, instead of going back and thinking about those, talking about them, I think it's important to understand what we've done in the police department to help our officers cope with those mechanisms and uh, we have a peer support group initiated by police officers. And if they're in those type of traumatic events, they sit down, they can talk, and they're with their peers. There's no brass, there's a brass meaning command. There's no psychologists in there. There's um, no doctors and get it off their chest, talk about it. Those are things that you, that we've moved forward as part of the the six pillars of community policing. 21st century policing is that peer support, and we have a social worker that's with us that will gain more and more uh, trust with the police officers. I think those are things that we we have to have in place because cops don't like to talk about stuff like that it, it it makes them makes them uneasy and, but they'll talk to their peers and we want them to talk soberly not down at the bar or over alcohol we want them to process these things and it's okay to have to have hard feelings about trauma and, and the stuff that you see, it's, mm -hmm. so. Well, just, I mean, as a, it's hard enough as a member of the community, but those traumatic events and traumatic conversations and interviews from this end of the camera yeah. have given me a lot of respect for what you do on that end. And, you know, you see things far more often than yeah. would care to admit. And, yeah. uh, well, thank you. Know, you. Appreciation for, for what you do uh, in your careers and, and just acknowledgement that it's, it's, not always, it's not always fun. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, you, you can talk about facts. You can talk about case facts. Those are 
pretty easy to talk about when you talk about the emotional side of and yeah. I mean I think that's the angle you're going at is emotion and I have a lot of emotions about those but I suppress them <laughs> that's that's who I am so sure yeah what are you most proud of if you had to pick one or five <laughs> or two <laughs> things I mean what what stands out as you as you said you were cleaning up your office, I see you taking things <laughs> off the walls. I mean, what goes through your mind in terms of just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really glad I was able to do X, Y, or Z. I, I, was just, I was just happy just to get the job. I didn't think I was ever gonna be in this position. I never planned for it and never expected it. Obviously, there was a lot of controversy around me being hired and I really owe a lot of thankfulness and respect to Marty Coburn. He took a chance on me that he, I don't know what he saw. Um, he told me, he, he said publicly that I had the community policing skills and the ideas and I just needed the, the room to implement them. And um, I really believe in community policing. That, that's my, I, I think that it works. I, I, I'm, I'm a student of it. I think it's just a good process. I think that the police are not only part of society, but they are society too. They're not military. And um, I think the most, the best is the community policing, I think, implementing that. And very thankful for Captain Gillis his implementation of that, his vision, his understanding, because he, he was educated in it, in community policing um, also, and when he worked at the tribe. Thankful for him, and I really want to just reassure the community that Matt Richmond's gonna do a fine job as an interim chief, and the this department's in very good hands. These, these officers are very well trained, they're, um, they're very bright, they're competent, and they're highly educated. They have the principles there that are gonna carry forward what we've been doing, and they're gonna take it to a higher level, so. I'm assuming, but correct me if I'm wrong, you're not going anywhere in terms of leaving <laughs> Michigan or leaving Traverse City, but yeah. what, what would you say to the community just in parting, uh, parting words for, from this office here at the Governmental Center. Um, it has been an honor to be the chief. It's been my pleasure. Well, thanks for your long tenure of service and, and it's always been great working with you, sir. Thank you. That's all I had. All right, sir. <laughs> thanks.